I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This being Mother's Day, we want to teach on a special Mother's Day message entitled Gifts of the Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is writing by the Holy Ghost, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He starts off in verse 1. And he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I'd not have you ignorant. I'm quoting from the King James. But if you'll notice, in the King James Bible, the word gifts is in italics. That means the translators added it. It's not in the original text. The original text reads this way. Now concerning spirituals, the word spiritual is in the plural. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, that doesn't make much sense to us, so that's why the translators put the word gifts in there. But the word spirituals literally means, in the original translation, it literally means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So he's saying, now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now remember, this is the Holy Ghost that's inspiring these words to be written. Which means it's the Holy Ghost saying that he doesn't want us ignorant about him and his activities. God does not want the church, God does not want his people ignorant about the way the Holy Ghost works. He goes on a little bit further in uh, beginning in verse 4. He says, now there are diversities of gifts. This word gifts is there in the original. He says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. Notice Jesus, the Lord... The Holy Ghost, the Spirit, and God the Father are all mentioned in the operation of the Holy Spirit in the earth. But the manifestation, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Notice it's not the gift that's given, it's the manifestation. See, if the gifts were given to you, then they'd be operated, you could operate them under your control. And that's the way that a lot of people seem to, seem to think that they work. You'll hear some people say, well, I've got the gift of this or the gift of that. Well, nobody has a gift in that, in that sense because it's operated as the Spirit wills, not as we will. And that's where so many ministers have gotten themselves in trouble because the, when the manifestation is not in operation, they feel under pressure. that Maybe they're known of, uh, to be used of a certain way by God and people come to see them operate. And so when the manifestation is not in, in operation, they'll try to operate it in the flesh. It makes a mess. But he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And then he gives us a, lot, a list of nine manifestations of the Spirit. For the one is given by the Spirit, the word of knowledge, or the word of wisdom, excuse me. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith. The Amplified Translation says special faith. I think that's a good... Uh, Good thing to keep in mind because everybody's got saving faith. Every Christian has saving faith or else you couldn't be saved. So he's talking about something extra beyond the ordinary. To another faith or special faith by the same spirit. To another the gifts of healings by the same spirit. In the original translation, every time gifts of healings are spoken of, both gifts and healings are in the plural. There's a plurality of gifts for healings. To another the gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse or different kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. Notice verse 11. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. 
Now, that means a couple of things. It means, number one, all of these things work. All nine of these manifestations work. But remember in verses 4 through 6 where it talked about God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, our Lord, being involved with the manifestations of the Spirit? That means all these working by the one and self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills, means that this list of nine manifestations of the Spirit encompasses in every part of the work of God. Anything and everything God does is going to fall into one of these categories. Now, they may operate differently at different times. But anything and everything God does is going to fall into this list of nine manifestations of the Spirit. All these worketh. That means the list of nine manifestations of the Spirit encompasses everything that God knows, everything that God would inspire to be said, and everything that God will do is contained in this list of nine. Now, we've talked about... uh, started off talking about the word of knowledge, which is divine revelation of certain facts or events in the mind of God. It's knowledge of things past or present. Then we talked a little bit about the word of wisdom, which has to do with future things. It's divine revelation into the plan and purpose of God or warnings of things to come. Those are all future events. Today I want to talk to you or introduce the third part of the revelation gifts, the the manifestations that reveals something, which is discerning of spirits. Now, discerning of spirits can be defined as the, uh, revelation or insight into the spirit realm. It's the ability to see into the spirit realm. You remember John on the Isle of Patmos. We've talked about that on several different occasions, both with the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. John had a vision, and he saw certain things. Now, one of the things that, uh, that was revealed to him in the vision were the present tense and past tense events concerning the seven churches in Asia. Another part of the the thing that was revealed to him were the future events, things to come in the last days, specifically the tribulation period. Now, you remember John saw those things as if they were happening before him. How could he do that if he were not seeing into the realm of the Spirit? Those things weren't happening in the present tense of the natural realm. So he's seeing into the spirit these things taking place. Now turn back with me to Second Kings chapter 6. We, uh, here's another one that we used as an example of the word of knowledge in operation. Where God manifested himself to warn Israel of an enemy king's plans. I'm going to back up and we'll cover the things that we've already talked about. And then see, um, uh, talk a little bit further and see what happens following this event. Beginning in verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for there the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once or twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he's saying there's a spy in our midst. And one of the servants said, none, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. 
And he said, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he's in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. Now, folks, I want you to realize how stupid the devil is. Think about what's happening. The king of Syria has made plans to war against Israel. And the prophet Elisha in Israel knows what those plans are before he does anything or before he's able to carry them out. So what does he do? He makes plans to go capture Elisha. Now God wouldn't, surely wouldn't show the prophet that, right? He sees what he's doing in his war plans, but he's not going to see that he's coming to capture him. People that are motivated by the devil are stupid. Now I want you to notice something else about this story. It was not a secret that Elisha was able to foretell or see the things that were taking place in the enemy plan, the enemy's plans against Israel. Why would God have changed his mind about wanting his church, his people nowadays, to be known as those who know and see things? My point is, in the Old Testament times, there were men who stood in the office of the prophet that knew what was going on by divine revelation. And apparently the servants, it was widely enough known that the servants of the Syrian king knew that that was the case. When did that change? When did God's plan for that position change? Shouldn't the church nowadays be known as those who know things supernaturally and can see the future even as the prophets did in the Old Testament? These are things God still wants and intends. God hadn't changed. If this was the case in the Old Testament, it's still the case today. Now, maybe the church has changed positions. Maybe the church has taken themselves out of a place where they are able to hear and receive from God. That's certainly possible. But if that's the case, the church can change their position back and get back to the place where we see and hear things supernaturally, can't we? God's plan hadn't changed. He never changes. So the enemy king sends his hit squad out. And it says in verse 15, it says, And when the servant of the man of God, here's Elisha's servant, was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? What are we going to do now, Elisha? And he answered, Elisha answered in verse 16 and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now the servant of Elisha starts doing the math. He starts counting. He counts the, all the horses and the chariots and the hillsides surrounding the city. And then he looks and counts Elisha and me. So there's two of us and however many thousands of, of soldiers are out there or whatever their number is. But notice it says in verse 17, here's the discerning of spirits in operation. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, how did Elisha know that they were there? Does it tell us Elisha saw them? No, doesn't tell us that at all. How did Elisha know? Well, there's two ways he could have known. First of all, he could have seen himself, but the Bible doesn't tell us that, so I think that's a jump to assume that to be the case. But the Bible says that the, the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him. He could be simply going off the truth of the word of God to know what the case was in the spirit realm that he cannot see. But he was confident that God was more than able to handle the situation. And he was. So he, he, he asked the Lord, prayed for the Lord to open the eyes of his servants. And his servants saw what Elisha already knew. I wonder how many are surrounding you. So many times we get in situations where we say, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? We'd stop and remember what the Bible says about those that are with us. We might take a different attitude. Isaiah said in chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. How did he see him? His eyes were open so that he could see into the spirit realm. He didn't see him with his natural eyes. Now, there have been angels that have come and materialized, operated in the natural realm. The Bible tells us that. And there were times in the Old Testament, for example, that we would assume that to be the case. You remember when the angel of the Lord came down with the two other angels and talked to Abraham. Well, Abraham wasn't the only one that saw them. So it wasn't a spiritual vision. wasn't discerning of spirits. It was something that was happening in the natural realm. You remember Sarah hid in the tent and heard what was going on. So she knew that they were there as well. They were in material form. So that wouldn't be discerning of spirits. But any time that you have a vision, any and every vision would encompass this manifestation of the spirit called discerning of spirits. Now, I'm kind of torn, to be perfectly frank with you, I'm kind of torn in the way to teach the manifestations of the spirit. Because there's two ways you can go about it. You can talk about them like they're so spiritual and so supernatural that nobody can attain to them much. But what I would rather do is I would rather teach them from a standpoint so that you understand what they are so that you would want to, to operate in them as the Lord wills. And in order to do that, you've got to kind of take the scary part out of it. You do realize that there is a personal operation of the Holy Ghost that, that corresponds with every one of these manifestations of the Spirit? For example, the word of wisdom is, is foretelling the future, showing future events, revealing the plan and the purpose of God. But the Bible says, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, that a part of the work of the Holy Ghost is he'll show you things to come. So you could expect to, to see or know things to come that would not fall into this category of manifestations of the Spirit in the area of the Word of Wisdom. Let me say it a different way. The Word of Wisdom is just a greater degree 
of the supernatural work of God than the inward witness and the spiritual perception that each and every one of us should have about things to come. Let me give you an example of that. Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus and is telling us about the greatest revival that he ever had. Why don't you turn to Acts chapter 19. I want you to see a couple of these verses. Paul's in Ephesus. He's been in Ephesus for three or three and a half years. He's having the greatest ministry results of anywhere that we have record of. He's overseeing a a move of God that's reaching a continent, reaching all of Asia. He's got a Bible school there that's meeting daily that he's training and raising up people that are going out and starting churches and just doing great things. He's had a display of the power of God such that the people have never seen or heard of before. They're dumping all their religious artifacts and their occult practices and the other gods, other idols and stuff that they were worshiping along with Jesus. It says in verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now, verse 21, I want you to notice something. It says, and after these things were ended, we don't know how long a period of time has taken place, but some period of time. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit. Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, after I've been to Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. Now, Rislu's translation has, a, has a, a way of phrasing this that I really, really like. It says it this way. Instead of Paul purposing the Spirit, it says, The Spirit moves Paul to plan. The Spirit moved Paul to plan. Every time the Word of Wisdom manifests, there's direction that comes. But is the Word of Wisdom the only way you get direction from God? What about the inward witness? Romans 8.16 says, for as many as are led, Romans 8.14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16 tells you how he's going to lead you. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. The number one way that God's going to lead you is not by the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, but by the inward witness. But if you think about it, the inward witness is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost, just on a lower level. Do you understand what I mean by that? Now, when we get direction from God, we don't jump up and down and say, oh, God spoke to me. At least we shouldn't. Some nuts do. But we accept that that direction is from God. We understand that that's what we're supposed to do. Those that are spiritually perceptive. Right? Well, then why do people make such a big deal about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit? I'm I'm walking a real fine line here. Because if you don't magnify the work of God, then he doesn't manifest. But if you over magnify the work of God, then people get weird. I've got a great revelation for you, folks. God doesn't want you to be weird. Notice in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 6, it didn't say there's a weird guy over in Israel that tells the the king. The king of Israel, everything that you say in your bedchamber. Now, continuing the story of Paul, skip with me over to Acts chapter 27. 
we know that in the interim chapters, every city that Paul goes to, there's a witness of the Holy Ghost that, that uh, says that bonds and afflictions await, for Paul, await Paul when he gets to Jerusalem. They're going to put him in chains. They're going to put him in jail and all that kind of stuff. Paul said every city that he went to, somebody told him that by the Holy Ghost. Now, what does that mean? Is this supernatural revelation? Well, it would have to be revelation because you wouldn't know what the future would be except God would show you. Right? But they're off, in many cases, they're putting their own interpretation on what God is showing. And boy, that's so easy to do. It's so easy for us to interpret things according to what we think instead of really getting to what God is trying to say. And that's where a lot of people have missed it and made mistakes. They're interpreting, they, the people in these other cities, every time they come to Paul and say, here's what the Holy Ghost is saying, bonds and afflictions are ahead of you. They're going to put you in jail and put you in chains. They're interpreting that to mean that he should not go. Agabus the prophet even comes down to one place, takes Paul's girdle and ties his hands up and says, thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall they do unto the man that owns this girdle when he goes to Jerusalem. So everybody, Luke included, said we and they of that place, we of Paul's company and they of that place, besought him not to go. But Paul wouldn't be talked out of it. Now there's only one reason that Paul wouldn't be talked out of it, and that was because he was convinced by the inward witness that he's doing the right thing, no matter what anybody else says. So it concludes, the story concludes with Luke saying, when he, Paul, would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. In other words, Paul talked them into understanding that this was God's will for him. So then why is the Holy Ghost manifesting himself, telling Paul about what the future is? To prepare him. To prepare him. Now, folks, I I don't want to worship Paul. Jesus is our Savior. But, boy, I sure do glory in the, the steel of his character. How many people do you know that wouldn't have been talked out of going? He's in a class pretty much by himself, it seems to me. Now, in chapter 27, Paul on this journey to to Jerusalem, or actually he's been to Jerusalem, now he's on the journey to Rome. They've sent him to Caesar. Notice in verse 9, excuse me, it says, Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already passed, Paul admonished them. He's going by ship on part of his journey uh, from Jerusalem to Rome. And he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Now notice he doesn't say, God told me. Notice he doesn't say, I've got a word of wisdom about what's going to happen. He doesn't say, I've had a vision or a dream or any other such thing. He said, Sirs, I perceive. Sirs, I perceive. Now here's something that that seems to me You judge it for yourself. But it seems to me that this is one of the things that so many Christians miss out or misunderstand because they think that Paul had something extra, something that you and I are not supposed to have because of the ministry office that he had, because he was an apostle. And because he was so important to to the foundation of the church that God used him in ways that he won't use you and me. But Paul just said he perceived. 
Now, how did he perceive it? He's not a sailor by trade. These are professional sailors that are ready to go. They're willing to weather whatever storm they perceive to be ahead of them. They're not concerned about it being too late in the year. So Paul says, sirs, I perceive that this this, uh, voyage will be with much hurt to uh, not only the ship and the cargo, but also to us. How did he get that? Where did that perception come from? Here's the thing that, that, that really governs my life. And that is, every one of us should be so familiar with the word of God and with the, the fellowship of the, that comes from spending time in prayer that we would be spiritually perceptive to be able to tell what is coming ahead. And it's something that every Christian should have. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 16, 13, where he said the Holy Ghost will show you things to come. He's not just saying the Holy Ghost will manifest himself with these spiritual gifts. He's saying we can know the Holy Ghost and on the inside of us to such a degree that we'll be warned when trouble is ahead. I see very little of the church world operating in that way. I see very little of the church world putting the putting what I think is proper emphasis on being spiritually developed and spiritually perceptive. I don't get that. The only explanation I can come up with on that is they don't understand what's available. Because if you do see and know what the Bible says you can have, why wouldn't you pursue it? But you tell me, is that what churches are about nowadays? Doesn't look to me like they are. So Paul says, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and much damage, not only of the lading in the ship, but also of our lives. Now they get out there and they get in the middle of a storm. A certain period of time goes by. We don't know how many days. It just says many days that they're in this storm. Verse 21 says, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. In other words, Paul's biting his tongue. For a long time, Paul was a real rough guy, and I'm sure he wanted to say, I told you so, a lot of times during the middle of that storm. Because he did tell. But finally, Paul spoke up and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not loose from creed and to have gained this harm and loss. Got to take that dig. I love it. You really should have listened to me. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God has given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Now, as I said, there are times in the Bible that we have examples of when angels appeared and manifested themselves in physical form. But the purpose for that is always... To be seen of people, to be seen of men. Nobody else on the ship saw the angel. The angel didn't appear in a way so that anybody would see the angel. Now I could understand if God's purpose was to show the men on the ship that he was with with Paul. And that Paul was some special guy in in God's eyes. Then maybe the angel would appear for everybody to see and then disappear. That would be kind of instant credibility, wouldn't it? But that's not the way it worked. The angel seems to have appeared to deliver a message to one and only one person, and that was Paul. 
So I interpret this to mean that this is discerning of spirits where Paul was able to see into the spirit realm. Now what did the, the angel tell him? What was the purpose of the angel being seen by Paul or Paul being able to see him? Well, he told him future events. So here's the word of wisdom. He told him what was going to happen. He said the ship will be lost, but everybody's life will be saved if they do what you tell him to do. Howbeit you shall be cast upon a certain island. So here's the word of wisdom in operation. Now, folks, there's, uh, you know me by now to know that I've got a number of pet peeves. One of my greatest ones is when people, Christians, call things or talk about things in a different way than the Bible refers to them. I mean, and here's the reason why. If the Holy Ghost is inspiring people to write certain things and say certain things in certain ways, who do we think we are to come up with a different way to say them? I mean, aren't we, when we come up with our own phrases and our own terms, aren't we saying that God's way is not good enough? But we've improved on it. One of those things that just fries me is when people talk about how that they operate in the prophetic. Now, what is that supposed to mean? We know from examples in the Bible that prophets have several things in common. Someone that stands in the office of the prophet has at least two of the three manifestations of of revelation and operation in their ministry. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and or discerning of spirits. You can't find a prophet in Old Testament or New Testament that doesn't have at least two of those in operation. Plus the gift of prophecy. So what would it mean for somebody to operate in the prophetic? Wouldn't that be kind of saying, I get the goodies of the prophet without the responsibility of the office? But you see that all the time. Somebody will speak a word inspired by God and they'll say, oh, they moved into prophetic. What is that supposed to mean? There's only one person that moves into prophetic and that's the prophet. That's why it's the prophetic. Meaning that which is of the prophet. But so many times in the body of Christ is it's like people are saying, well, God's using me. Maybe in revelation, maybe in inspired utterance. And so we feel like we have to say, I'm saying we in a general sense, I don't. Hope you don't either. But people feel like they need to say something that presents them in a greater measure than they really are. And folks, you could well understand that the greatest need the body of Christ now is to have people run around saying whatever they think and putting it off like it's all from God. That's a great blessing, isn't it? Well, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. Because anybody can have a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit divides these manifestations separately as he wills. Well, why don't we just say the Holy Ghost manifested himself? Rather than putting our own terminology on it. There was, uh, between the time that Beth and I stopped working for Brother Hagen in 1984, May of 1984... And starting the church in January of 1986, we had about uh, a year and a half where we did some traveling, both in the States and, uh, and some overseas. 
And we had a meeting in Sacramento. There was a church up there, not a real big church, but um, they started off strong. They, they were doing, doing some good things, teaching the word and so forth. And we had a meeting, and there was, I think it was a three-day meeting. And so these were people that we didn't know, never had met them before. But they knew that we had worked for, with Brother Hagin, and so they invited us in. So we went, and I couldn't get any direction about what to minister. And, man, I was, I was angry. I was mad at God. I'd been praying. Spent a lot of time praying about the meeting. God wouldn't show me what to do. I was a lot less experienced then than I am now, a lot less mature then than I am now. And just to be perfectly honest with you, I was mad. I was upset with the meeting before it ever started because I didn't have any direction. First time ever that I hadn't had some direction about what to preach and how to minister. And really it was my own insecurity because I, without a plan at that point in time in my life, without a plan, what am I going to do? I'm not good enough to go on the fly and just, or it didn't feel like it was anyway. So anyway, we get there. The guy uh, picks us up from the airport. Did we fly or did we drive? We did fly on that trip, didn't we? But anyway, he picked us up and uh, took us to a restaurant to get something to eat. And we sat down. Like I said, we didn't know him. He didn't know us. And so after a few minutes of small talk, he said, well, we're sure glad you're here. He said, our church has really had some problems here lately. And as soon as he said that, as fast as you can snap your finger, I knew everything that happened to that church. I knew what the church situation was. I instantly knew what to do and how to minister. So I stopped him. I said, stop, 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 stop. Don't tell me another word. The Lord just showed me what's going on in your church and what I'm supposed to do to minister while I'm here. Well, what do you talk about after that? This guy's afraid to breathe. (laughs) There's no questions you can ask about how'd your church start because then you get to talking about stuff. And so it was a real awkward meal that we had. We went back to the hotel and and, um, I guess this one on Saturday and started on Sunday morning. So I I realized instantly, just as fast as you can, uh, faster than you can snap your fingers, I saw everything that happened to that church. And I saw it like I was there when it happened. It wasn't just I knew. If I had just known, it would have been a word of knowledge. But I saw it. I saw that somebody had come in their church. There was a lady that had come in their church and fancied herself to be a prophet. Or a prophetess, as Brother Hagin used to say, a prophetess. (laughs) Man, I miss that guy. And so anyway, she'd come in, and she had fancied herself to stand in the office of the prophet and had told the the church that God had sent her to teach the church how to pray, and she had done a lot of things that uh, trying to teach some kind of intercessory prayer or start some kind of intercessory prayer stuff that had just messed the church up. Well, I came in Sunday morning, started in, told the church I was going to teach on intercessory prayer. And there was a church-wide groan because that has just been their problem. And over the next three days' worth of meetings, we dealt with everything, everything in a, in a detailed and specific manner 
about what had happened in the church. Now, I didn't talk about, now, this is what happened in your church, and this was the person that did it and stuff, even though I knew. I knew there were some people in the church that were there in the meeting that had been involved in it, and other people had just been taken in by it. But I would just say, now, some people come in, and they'll try to teach this in churches and try to keep it generic. I wasn't trying to, believe it or not, I wasn't trying to offend anybody. You may think that's contrary to my nature, but (laughs) nevertheless. But after every service, the pastor would stand up there and really embarrassed, say, folks, I haven't told him anything. I haven't told him anything. He doesn't know anything from me. I'm not even eating with him between the services. I'm not. (laughs) And, And after three days worth of meetings, the pastor stood up and said before the church, he said, God sent you here to operate like a prophet. Well, if I was operating the way that a lot of people do in ministry, from that point on, I'd change my brochures. Mike Webb operates in the prophetic. But it's never worked like that again with me ever since. There have been times where I've gotten revelation. There have been times where I've seen and known things. There have been times where I've seen over in the spirit realm. But that was a one-time thing that God did to help a specific church survive, literally. And it's never worked like that with me again. Well, I've never really even told the story. I may have mentioned bits and pieces of it before, but I've never even really told the story. Because the glory shouldn't go to the person that's being used. We shouldn't be making a big deal about, hey, God used me. We should be making a big deal about God helped a church. Shouldn't we? Now you may wonder why I'm making such a big deal about this. But it has a lot to do with God's ability to move. The Bible talks about the motive for the spirit of God moving is love. So that there's no lack or division in the body. Not so that we can make a name for ourselves and build a ministry on how God used us. So this is, this is a real important point for me. That's why I'm, I'm, that's why I'm a lot more careful than I see other people being when they talk about the manifestations of the Spirit. Because it's not to exalt the person being used. It's to exalt the name of Jesus and the work being done. Now let me give you another example. Before we close, let me give you another example or two about how these things work. We were um, in the old building over in Watney. And um, there was a guy that had come into our church. Hadn't been there for real long, maybe a month or two. And he was a businessman, successful businessman. And had started putting a lot of money into the church. Well, our church was struggling. And so that that caught my attention. And I was pleased that, that the Lord had sent somebody in to help. And this guy was always there to pat me on the back at the end of the service. He didn't know me well enough to know that telling me I preached great really didn't do anything for me. And so he was always there to, to you know, say good things and that kind of stuff. And I recognized he was trying to, to be encouraging and that he was, you know, genuinely blessed or at least coming across as being genuinely blessed by the service services. And so I was, I was counting him as somebody that the Lord was adding to the church. 
Well, I'm minding my own business, preaching along, walking from side to side as I always do. Learned that from Brother Hagin. I can even hang my toes off the edge <laughs> like he used to. But anyway, I'm minding my own business, just walking from side to side. He was sitting over on this side on the front row. Or on the, well, he's on the aisle. I'm not sure he's on the front row, but he's on the aisle. So I'm minding my own business, walking along. Looked up, caught his, saw him, looked, you know, just happened, wasn't really looking at him, so to speak, but looked in his direction. And as soon as I did, there were block letters above his head. And those block letters said, Deceiver. Well, I looked a couple of times. It's there. I turned around, walked the other way, and thought, My gosh, what in the world? I even had the thought that maybe it was supposed to be hanging over somebody else's head. Somebody that didn't give so much. Looked back and it's right there. But by now I'm intently looking at this guy. I look away and look back. It's just hanging over his head. Big block letters, deceiver. Well, I finished the service pretty quickly, actually. (laughs) And after the service, he came up and he did the thing that he always did. Boy, that really blessed me. That was great. Whatever. Whatever he said. And I I, I just responded, yeah, well, that's, that's great. I'm glad you were blessed. And there was something about it. From that point on, he just stopped coming. I didn't say anything to him. There was no mention made of anything. I mean, how would you tell somebody that? By the way, during the service, (laughs) I noticed there was a sign over your head. I mean, how, how would you address something like that? And what would it mean? Well, it meant the guy had a lying spirit. I found out sometime later, probably six or eight months later, from another pastor in the area that he left our church and went to theirs. He tore that church completely up. Tore it slap up. Doing exactly what he started doing here. Now I didn't have to say anything to the guy. I didn't, I didn't have to try to get rid of him. I didn't even have to try to pray him out. Now that's one thing I found out I'm pretty good at over the years. <laughs> Praying out people that God really doesn't want here. You should be glad to be here. I'm sorry I didn't mean to do any of this but there have been times that's all I'm trying to say now I'm afraid to look at anybody (laughs) but I didn't have to do anything the guy just left on his own the Holy Ghost manifested himself and the guy went out the door folks supernatural is here for our benefit and God's still in the supernatural business. When, uh, when the church started the building program, we had contracted the, attor- the uh, attorneys. Sorry, mental block. We had um, uh, entered into contracts with the contractors and doing that kind of stuff. And so we were trying to come up with a way to, to uh, raise the money and so forth. Well, the church owned the house that we lived in, the parsonage. And we were planning to, to sell that, the parsonage and put the money into the building program. And I was, um, uh, there was a, there were a number of things. It was an exciting time. We hadn't run into any trouble at that point. So 
big plans were being made, and it was just a really exciting time. And so I'm walking down the uh, the stairs at my house. I got to the to the landing in the middle way, you know how it does is turns. And so I got to the landing, and as soon as I got to the landing, the Lord spoke to me just really strong. It almost shook me. He said, "You won't have to change the way you live." What does that mean? Well, I came to find out what it meant. We ran into trouble with contractors and attorneys and lawsuits and all that kind of stuff and spent five years living hand-to-mouth day-to-day and during the greatest financial attack that we ever had. Folks, you need to understand something about the way the devil operates. You need to settle the issue of tithing. You need to settle the issue of God supplying your needs. You need to settle those issues as soon as early as you can because the devil will try to destroy you financially. And he does a lot of Christians. Well, the same thing is true for churches. Churches are just families of Christians. And so during that five-year period, he tried to destroy us financially. And boy, he came close. But he couldn't shake the truth of the word. During that period, there was over a year where I didn't take a salary. Now, I can't make it work on paper. I can't tell you how it worked. But we never had to change the way we lived, and I'm not taking a salary. But if I hadn't had that word from the Lord, I sure wouldn't have been able to make it. I kept relying, remembering back and and leaning on that. And saying time after time, Lord, you said we wouldn't have to change the way we lived. If I hadn't had that, I don't know if I'd have been able to hold steady. Many times, divine revelation comes to hold you steady in times of trouble. Now, people like the goosebumps that come from being able to tell somebody what the future is. And folks, you need to understand, discerning of spirits is not some gift of discernment. And it's not a discerning of devils. The Bible talks about more insight into the spirit realm on the positive side than it does the negative side. There are more angels that are seen through the discerning of spirits in the Bible than the devil ten times. But so many times people have this idea that it's all doom and gloom. Foretelling or revelation is all doom and gloom. Let me tell you something else that happened. I don't know why, but I'm just in the mood to tell stories this morning. Is that all right? Somebody came into service one time. It was an evening service. It wasn't a a real well-attended service. It was an evening service. And so I noticed him in in the congregation. And I noticed... When I looked at him, I just knew something was wrong with him. I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that that, that something was wrong. And so after the service, they came up to the front and wanted to talk to me a minute. And so they introduced themselves. And as soon as they introduced themselves, as soon as they told me their name, I had never heard of them, didn't know anything about them. But as soon as I shook their hand and they introduced themselves, I knew what they were there for. Now, here's the word of knowledge in operation. I didn't see anything, but I just instantly knew that they were there 
that they were going to tell me that God had sent them. And they sent them with a message that they had been, they, the individual, had been given a special message from God, a special teaching that I was supposed to accept into the church. And that if I refused, then the curse of God would come upon our church and we'd shut our doors within a six month period of time. Well, I told them everything that, that the Lord showed me. As soon as they introduced themselves, said their name, I said, ah, well, I see why you're here. And so I just rattled off everything that I just told you. And I even told them the curse that they were going to put on our church. They would write Ichabod upon the door. And our church would close within six months. Their eyes got real big. I said, I think you know what the next thing is that's coming, don't you? You'll never teach in this church. You don't have a message from God for us. And God's moved in a supernatural way to show you that you're not who you think you are. Well, that pretty much ended the conversation. (laughs) Folks, what I'm trying to get across to you is when you let the Holy Ghost do things supernaturally, it saves a lot of time and effort. As they were walking away, they stopped and turned around and came back. They said... You know, the Lord gave me this message for Billy Joe Doherty's church. And he didn't listen to me, and he died. I never had such a big laugh in my life. <laughs> I thought it was a cheap shot to take it, Billy Joe. He had just gone home to be with the Lord. But I just started laughing. And I said, I tell you what, I'll meet you back here in six months. We'll see who's doing what. Well, they never came. Don't expect to see them again. But folks, God still works in supernatural ways. God wants to work in supernatural ways. I think a lot of times because we get in our minds that, the, that these gifts of revelation work in a certain manner, in a public manner only, that we don't realize that the Holy Ghost is moving all the time. I've had more revelation from God not in services, or at least not in a public manner, even if it happens in a service, than the other. But many times because we don't stop and magnify them, we don't talk about them. And the modern-day church, bless their hearts, it seems like the modern-day church is such baby Christians that they don't know what's good unless you tell them it's good. That's why churches are out there telling everybody how amazing they are. They get people to parrot that and go tell other places, my church is amazing. And it's like if you're not telling your church, telling your people that your church is amazing, they don't know. (laughs) I've looked at some of these amazing churches and what they've got going on is not nearly what we've got going on. Churches with amazing worship. Well, they don't have nearly what we've got. And I don't consider us to be amazing. I just consider us to be worshiping God. You getting anything out of this? I feel like I'm turning into Brother Hagen. I really don't have anything stuck in my craw. I'm really not trying to correct anything. But the body of Christ is a mess. 
The modern day church is a mess because there's no foundation of the word. And there have been times in the early days of our church, I had many more visions than I'm having now. Within the first three years of the church, I saw Jesus three times. Within the first five years of the church, I had visions of angels three additional times. I haven't seen anything in a long time. But it's almost like, and I don't know if I'm interpreting this right or not, you judge for yourself. It's almost like when we were younger, we needed more. I needed more to keep me steady. The first time Jesus appeared to me, I was considering making a change that would have altered the course of our church. Well, he needed to appear to me. Now I'm experienced enough and mature enough where I wouldn't even consider making that change. It was just something out of my youth. I was frustrated with our church size. And I was looking for something that would draw people in. And so I was considering doing something the way that other people were doing them. Well, I would never consider that now. My worth is not in the size of our church. I'm not bothered by that stuff anymore. Jesus said he'd build the church. Church size is his problem, not mine. My focus is on teaching the truth. No, what a foundation of truth we've got. I think a lot of times people mistake natural wisdom. I say natural wisdom. I mean biblical wisdom, which should be natural for us with manifestations of the spirit. For example, what I mean by that is the Bible tells you how things are going to turn out based on whether people follow God or whether they don't. In many cases, most cases, you can tell how kids are going to turn out based on the importance and focus on spiritual things that the parents put on or emphasize to their kids. Well, it doesn't take us a, a word from God to see and know those things. But divine revelation is different. But we should all have biblical wisdom, shouldn't we? I mean, that's the reason that God gave us the Bible. So we develop wisdom. Well, I can see things that are coming down the road. And I don't know if I'm seeing them by the Holy Ghost. I don't know if it's just spiritual perception or if it's just the wisdom that comes from knowing if you put God first, then God honors his word. I'm not sure which of those it is, and I'm not sure if it's important to to know. But I know this. I know that there's going to come a wave of manifestations of the Spirit that most of the church won't be ready for. You do realize that if you don't have a scriptural foundation for when God starts to move, that move can be detrimental to a church. 
You know that, don't you? Because if a church doesn't know how to handle it, the Corinthian church is a good example. They had manifestations of the Spirit right and left. They came behind in no good gift, Paul said. That means they had them all in operation. But the church didn't survive because they didn't walk in love. They were broken in factions and divisions on ministry. They were divided among themselves selfishly. And the church didn't survive. Now think about that. The church that had the greatest move of God when it comes to manifestations of the Spirit is a church that didn't survive. Why didn't they survive? Because they emphasized spiritual gifts more than the Word. Folks, the foundation of the Word of God is everything. It's the launching pad for the gifts of the Spirit. Or it's supposed to be at least. I, I see Wendell and Glenda over here. Two years ago, you had your accident? Was it two years ago? Has it been that long? Not quite two years? He had an accident that brought him to the point of death. They weren't sure if he's going to make it. Well, it would have been nice, in some people's thinking, to have had a manifestation of the Holy Ghost and to walk into the, to the hospital room and raise him up, some gift of the Spirit and operation. But it was the foundation of the Word of God that brought him through. I'm sure there were times where they didn't feel strong but the word held them up. There's nothing that's greater than that, folks. And there's no manifestation of the Spirit that's supposed to take the place of the foundation of the word in your life. Ever. I hope I'm not saying this in the wrong way. But the manifestation of the Spirit is supposed to be a supplement to the foundation of the word of God in your life. But when you get things in order, when you get things in line with what God wants them to be, the foundation first, then it provides an opportunity for the Holy Ghost to manifest, to do some magnificent and even spectacular things. That's what we're coming to. That's what we're coming to. And I can say that by the Holy Ghost, not because he told me to tell you, because I know the Holy Ghost. I know that's what's coming. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, first and foremost. We thank you for the wisdom that comes from the word. We thank you for the spirit of God that indwells us. Father, I thank you for that which is about to be done, that which is ahead. I thank you for the rain, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, the outpouring of revelation gifts, utterance gifts, and power gifts. I thank you for doing great things, Father. 
I'm asking you for big things, big results. Not so that we can make a name for ourselves, but so that the name of Jesus is magnified. Glorify your name, Lord. Glorify your name. Holy Spirit, we give you free reigning course in this place, in our church and in our lives. Manifest yourself as you see fit, whether it be in our church services or whether it be in our individual lives to help other people. Manifest yourselves as you see fit. Father, I thank you that the manifestation of the Holy Ghost from the foundation of your word will change people in such a way that we'll be able to say even as it was said in the Old Testament they were changed into another man or another woman Father have your way in us in our midst in our church have your way we do ask Father for the glory of God not for our own sake that would be known of your people in these last days even it was as it was known in former days that the people of God know by divine revelation the plans of the enemy and set their guard so that they're not taken away they're not swept under and they're not defeated Father we still pray that you would cause these last days to be days of heaven on earth for your people that are walking in your word and sensitive to your spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 We love you, Father. We thank you that you want to move. You want to magnify the name of Jesus through the manifestation of the Spirit. We don't have to talk you into it. We just have to put ourselves in position. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for working on people's hearts right now, making them conscious of your presence. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Supernatural days. Supernatural days. Supernatural works. Supernatural days. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Let's all stand together. When the presence of God is here like this, it's hard to quit.
Let's lift our hands and thank God for that which is ahead. Lord, we recognize that we're coming into days where the manifestation of the Spirit will be the norm. Not just for church services, but in our lives. And it won't be a weird thing. And we choose, we determine not to be lifted up in some kind of sense of pride. But we'll just let you move, Lord, as you will. We commit this to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. We're hungry for you, Holy Spirit. We're hungry for you to fulfill the plan and the purpose of God. That's all we want. We desire spiritual gifts as a church family, church body, even as you told us to. Thank you for moving among us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Say this after me. I want God to have his way in my life and in our church. That's all I want. In Jesus' name. Amen. If that's really true of us, there's nothing the devil can do to keep the Holy Ghost from moving. Hallelujah. Boy, good things are ahead, folks. Good things are ahead. In Jesus' name. Well, say it with me. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.